there are at least two ways to see the Messiah's presence in the Old Testament. The chief would be the Lord's messenger. Dr. Reed Lessing, co-author of the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for September, The Messianic Message, Predictions, Patterns, and the Presence of Jesus in the Old Testament. The second way we see the presence of Jesus in the Old Testament would be through God's glory. Learn more about the Messianic Message at issuesetc.org. The message of a coming Messiah is not merely one among many features of the Old Testament in the Bible. It is the point of the Old Testament. That is sometimes difficult to see because, of course, the perspective of the Old Testament is waiting and promising and predicting that this Messiah would come. The picture isn't always so clear at first glance, but that's exactly how the New Testament looks at the Old Testament. That's how Jesus looks at the Old Testament. Whether it's the minor prophets, the major prophets, or the history books, it's all there testifying of him. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. It's time for part four of our series, Finding Jesus in the Old Testament. Today, the minor prophets. Dr. Reed Lessing is our guest, professor of theology and ministry and director of the Center for Biblical Studies at Concordia University, St. Paul, Minnesota. He's co-author of the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for September, The Messianic Message, Predictions, Patterns, and the Presence of Jesus in the Old Testament. Dr. Lessing, welcome back. Thanks, Todd. Let's jump into the Minor Prophets. How is the Messiah depicted in the book of Hosea? Yes, Hosea. The Messiah message in uh, the book of the prophet Hosea comes clearest in chapter 11, verse 1, where the prophet uh, writes, speaking for God, when Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt, I called my son. And so wonderful pattern throughout the Bible where God calls people out of bondage, slavery, death. In this case, the bondage, slavery, and death is in the land of the Nile in Egypt. And Jesus is going to uh, fulfill this pattern in a complete way in Matthew chapter 2, verse 15. When Herod the Great is uh, trying to kill Jesus and Joseph, the guardian of our Lord, is warned in a dream to take the child and his mother Mary to Egypt. And after the death of Herod then, Matthew says, this was to fulfill what the prophet said, out of Egypt I called my son. So Hosea gets the uh, minor prophets going with a, a wonderful pattern in chapter 11, verse 1 of his book. Where do we find the Messiah in Amos? Amos, Amos, Amos. Really, in the second verse of the book, Amos records God saying that he's a lion roaring from Zion. And we get this lion imagery and very important messianic prediction in Genesis chapter 49, verses 8 through 12, where, among other things, the tribe of Judah, the messianic line, is uh, depicted as a lion. And we see this uh, foremost then in the book of Revelation chapter 5, where Jesus is called the root and offspring of David and the lion of the tribe of Judah. Fast forward to Amos chapter 9, uh, verses 11 through 15, and Amos says that God is going to rebuild the Davidic dynasty. 
And when God does that, there's going to be a remnant of the nations who will be saved. And then the book concludes in Amos chapter 9, verses 14 and 15, with the restoration of creation. Of all things, in the first apostolic council in Acts 15, James, the half-brother of Jesus, gets up and to further the messianic gospel in the book of Acts, uh, James is going to quote from this uh, messianic part of Amos in Amos 9, verses 11 through 15. What is the sign of Jonah? The sign of Jonah, right? Jesus uh, speaks to this in all three synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And the sign of Jonah quite often is misunderstood as being a resurrection sign. It certainly includes that. But the major point Jesus is making is, as he says, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man must be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So just as Jonah is rejected by God and um, is therefore abandoned by God, at least for a time, so Jesus will all the more so be abandoned by the Father because he who had no sin is becoming sin right there on the cross for the life of the world on Good Friday. What does the uh, prophecy of Micah tell us about the Messiah? Micah's from a small town, Morasheth. He tells us that in Micah 1 verse 1. So Micah's going to have a real propensity to focus on small town and small things and the small ways of God which really is a beautiful theology of the cross motif throughout Holy Scripture. It gets started in Genesis eleven thirty, where Sarai, later called Sarah, is barren. And God is going to take this uh, barren postmenopausal woman and create from her Isaac and from Isaac, Jacob, and from Jacob, of course, the 12 tribes of Israel. So Micah is going to dial into this theme in Holy Scripture since he's from a small town. And then it uh, comes probably as no absolute surprise that Micah's emphasis on the Messiah is that in Micah 5 verse 2, he's depicting the Messiah as coming from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And what Micah then is going to add to this humble beginning of the Messiah is uh, the words, his origins are from of old, from ancient times. So Micah is going to give us a wonderful picture of the Messiah. He goes on in that same verse, talking about how the Messiah will shepherd the flock of Israel. Does the prophet Nahum have anything to say regarding the Messiah? Not specifically. What we want to always remember is the major Messianic prediction really sets the template for the rest of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where we see, of course, the, uh, the wounded victor. So he is wounded in the battle. Certainly Isaiah's for servant song picks that up in spades. But he's also the victor over the serpent, who we all know is Satan, Lucifer, the liar, and the father of lies. And within that battle, the suffering Messiah is going to conquer 
all evil, all death, all devils, etc., certainly by his suffering. But the book of Nahum is going to talk about God's victory over all evil, and Nahum is going to speak most definitively against the evil of his day, and that would be the Assyrian capital of Nineveh. So do we see the Messiah in the prophet Haggai? Haggai is going to give us a, a wonderful two-chapter book on how he is spurning the post-exilic community in the 6th century BC into rebuilding the temple. As soon as uh, exiles came back from Babylon, the building began, but then the building committee and the builders got discouraged. So for 17 years, uh, nothing happened. So Haggai comes along and exhorts the people to finish what they started, rebuild the temple. The wonderful pattern of Jesus that he picks up most clearly in John chapter 2, verse 19, where Jesus says, destroy this temple, I will rebuild it in three days. So Haggai's rebuilding of the Solomonic temple that was destroyed in seven, excuse me, in 587 BC is going to be a pattern, a foreshadowing, a, a preview of coming attractions of the rebuilding of the temple where God has located all of his presence in the person of Jesus. The prophet Zechariah has a lot to say about the coming Messiah. Tell us about that. He really does, especially beginning in chapter 9. And what I might do is back up a little bit and speak to the whole 14-chapter book of Zechariah. In broad strokes, the first eight chapters signal the Davidic and conquering side of the Messiah, much like Isaiah 1-39. to But then once we get to chapter 9 through 14 in Zechariah, in large part, it takes a turn just like Isaiah does in chapters 40 to 66. In fact, some people would say that Zechariah would be the first commentary on the book of the prophet Isaiah. So you have this Davidic deliverer coming to crush the serpent's head and all enemies of the gospel. And then in chapters 9 through 14, you have more of a suffering servant motif in Zechariah, beginning with chapter 9, verse 9, that this messianic Davidic deliverer is going to come into Jerusalem riding on a, on a donkey, the foal of an ass. So there would be the suffering, the humility of the Messiah, much like right Isaiah's Four Servant Songs. Well, then we go uh, fast forward to chapter 11 in Zechariah, and it's almost like a blow-by-blow, point-by-point detailed analysis of what is going to happen after the Savior rides into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, because in chapter 11, he's going to be betrayed with 30 pieces of silver. Only Matthew picks that part up in Matthew chapter 27, along with the suicide of Judas Iscariot. Perhaps the most powerful, insightful part of Zechariah would be in chapter 12, verse 10, where God is speaking, and that that would be really important to understand the, the full power and gist of this, but God says, they will look upon me whom they have pierced, which is a stunning comment that 
God himself, Yahweh, right? L-O-R-D in all caps in the Old Testament, 6,228 times that word comes in the first 39 books of the Bible. And this Yahweh, the God who created heaven and earth, says they will look upon me whom they have pierced. Which really then takes us back to the suffering servant and the suffering of God in the Old Testament. So this Zechariah 12 verse 10 isn't a a new teaching. It's not a new twist on things. Already in Genesis 6 verse 6, God says as he looks at humanity undone, the evils of their heart were perpetual, we're told in Genesis 6 verse 4 and 5. But in Genesis 6 verse 6, it says of God that he had heart-piercing sorrow. So we, we see the suffering side of God already in the sixth chapter of the Bible. And God will tell Moses in the burning bush in Exodus 3 verse 8 that he knows the pain of his people, not just intellectually and as the sovereign creator of heaven and earth, but also experientially. And how do we know that God knows the pain of his people? He's right there in the burning bush in the person of the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, the Messiah's presence in terms of this angel of the Lord. So if we are aware of Genesis and Exodus, these two verses, when we get to Zechariah 12, verse 10, God says, they will look upon me whom they have pierced. We already know that God is engaged in the suffering of people. And in in this wonderful prediction, he's also going to take on the suffering of people and in doing so, take upon the sin of the world. John, the gospel writer, obviously is going to pick this up in chapter 19 of his gospel, who is the only evangelist, right, who records the Roman spear thrust in John 19, verse 34. And then there was a sudden flow of blood and water, which takes us back to Zechariah chapter 13, verse 1, where Zechariah speaks about a cleansing fountain for sin. So John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, puts together Zechariah 12, verse 10, and then 13, verse 1, to present a a wonderful cleansing picture of what Christ is doing on Good Friday. Well, then we go to chapter 13 of Zechariah, where it says in verses 6 and 7, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Also picked up by Matthew, and in this case, Luke, when it comes to the arrest of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. So Zechariah is just a, a wonderful prophet. Quite often he's called the prophet of Holy Week and has a lot to say about the, the suffering and the, the death of the Messiah. Dr. Reed Lessing is our guest. It's part four of our series, Finding Jesus in the Old Testament. We'll turn to the first five books and how they are the foundation of the Messianic message next. Was the reformer Martin Luther innovating or in error when he added the word alone to Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith alone apart from works of the law? 
Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. Journal. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Donna Harrison details her journey to confessional Lutheranism from Catholicism, Scientism, Mysticism, and Evangelicalism. The free online Issues Etc. Journal. Just click the red Journal subscription button at issuesetc.org. This fall in creation is bested by tornado, hurricane, flood, pandemic, and more. LCMS Disaster Response helps our congregations, their pastors, and other church workers to reach out to their members and neighbors with mercy, which flows from Christ to altar. We offer quality volunteer training, help for congregational readiness and response, and disaster grant funding. To learn more, visit lcms.org disaster. That's lcms.org disaster. All theology is Christology. You're listening to Issues Etc. Are you planning your vacation in the Orlando area? Are you thinking about retiring in Central Florida? Are you looking for a faithful Lutheran church near the theme parks? Then Zion Lutheran Church and School is the place for you. We're in Winter Garden, Florida, about 20 minutes from all the attractions. At Zion Lutheran Church and School, we believe, teach, and confess God's truth for you. Find out more on our website, zionwg.org. Teaching your student to read should not be complicated. Memoria Press's phonics uses common sense and the classical approach with their First Start Reading program for the most effective and efficient way to teach your child how to read. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. It's part four of our series, Finding Jesus in the Old Testament. Dr. Reed Lessing is our guest. Dr. Lessing, how do the first five books of the Old Testament lay the foundation for the Messianic message? Yeah, I would say that, again, this foundational, right, proto-evangelium, there's the Latin for the moment, right? The first gospel talks about a seed, a seed of the woman. And seed is going to be a huge idea, especially in Genesis. The word Zerah in Hebrew is going to come 59 times in Genesis. There's a total of 170 uses of the word in the Old Testament. So Genesis is packed with this idea of the seed of a woman. So the Messiah isn't going to come from outer space. He's not going to be anything else than a real human being, which really provides uh, the gist then of uh, John 1.14, the word became flesh. So we're looking for a, a human being. We're looking for a man to undo everything that Adam and Eve have done. As we then track through uh, the rest of the Pentateuch, we really can't understand the rest of the Bible without the Pentateuch. These just aren't the first five books of the Bible. These are the foundational books of Scripture. They're the essence of Scripture. Everything that we have in Joshua through Revelation is going to be in its incipient forms, right, and message in the Pentateuch. All of which is to say we could fast forward to a lot of places, but I think one place in particular 
in Genesis chapter 17, verse 6, the promise is given to Abraham that kings will come forth from him. Sometimes we read the Bible and we think that the monarchy, God having kings is kind of plan B. Somehow the people convinced Samuel and 1 Samuel 8 to go along with their plans. That's not the proper reading of 1 Samuel 8 through 10. Kings are part of the plan, plan A, Genesis 17, 6. So we know that he's going to be an offspring of the woman. He's going to crush the serpent's head, and he will be a king, a king. So then we go to this wonderful prediction in chapter 49, verses 8 through 12 in Genesis, and we are told that the scepter will not depart from the tribe of Judah. Of course, scepter is connected with king. King. Genesis then is going to not only give us this offspring of a woman and the king, but we also have the first appearance of the messenger of the Lord in chapter 16 of Genesis as the messenger uh, the Malach Yahweh, angel of the Lord, appears first to Hagar in the wilderness. So this Messiah is going to have a heart and deep compassion for the least, the lost, and the last people like Hagar. That really sets the foundation for what we have then in the rest of the Pentateuch. The messenger of the Lord, as I already said, is going to appear to Moses. And through the messenger, God is experiencing the pain of his people. The book of Exodus is going to have any number of patterns, as we use this term in our book. The Passover lamb, Jesus is the new Moses, and Jesus comes to enact the final Exodus, the deliverance of his people out of uh, the bondage of sin and, and death and the devil. The book of Leviticus is going to highlight the middle of the Pentateuch. I often teach my students that the meat's in the middle, and right in the middle of the Pentateuch is the book of Leviticus, and right in the middle of Leviticus is Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement in chapter 16, where we not only have the blood sacrifice of the animals making it possible for the high priest to have access to the very presence of God in the Holy of Holies. But we also have the scapegoat who is cut off, cut off, who bears the sin of the people and then is cut off from the land of the living, sent into the wilderness. The fourth servant song of Isaiah is going to pick that up in 53, 9, that Jesus is cut off from the land of the living as he bears the sin of the world. All of which is to say is the Day of Atonement, the middle of the Pentateuch, not only tells us about the scapegoat, which is a pattern foreshadowing of Jesus, it also provides access, access for one, one day of the year on the Day of Atonement, and that is a preview of access for all believers through the blood of Christ. Numbers is going to certainly pick up a wonderful prediction in chapter 24. There's going to be a star out of the tribe of Judah. And the book of Deuteronomy is going to pick up in large part messianically that Jesus is the new Moses. Jesus is the prophet like Moses in Deuteronomy 18 verse 15. So there you have it, a little bit, but not all of the messianic message in the first five books of the Bible. 
What role do the historical books of the Old Testament play in the Messianic message? The main piece would be going back to that Genesis 17, 6 verse, where the historical books, right, from Joshua through Kings are going to highlight the monarchy, especially the Davidic monarchy. And uh, the wonderful section in uh, 2 Samuel 7 promises that this house of David will always have a Davidic heir reigning and ruling on the throne. Dr. Reed Lessing is our guest. We will talk about the wisdom books and their messianic message next. Issues Etc. regular guests Dr. Reed Lessing and Dr. Andrew Steinman are the authors of our Book of the Month for September, The Messianic Message, Predictions, Patterns, and the Presence of Jesus in the Old Testament. This new book is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040, or learn more about The Messianic Message at issuesetc.org. Study the Old Testament through a Christ-centered lens with the Issues Etc. Book of the Month, The Messianic Message. Have you ever wondered about some of the more difficult topics or teachings of Scripture, such as what does the Bible say about polygamy or slavery or the free will, or what about law and gospel? The October issue of The Lutheran Witness is a twin to the August 2022 issue, and it takes up some of these difficult teachings of Scripture and explains them in detail. To get your copy, visit cph.org witness or the Lutheran Witness website witness.lsms.org. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective. Sanctifying your vocations with the Word of God. You're listening to Issues Etc. Pumpkin spice flavored everything is in the air. It's the perfect time of year to curl up with a nice warm beverage using one of Ad Crucem's mugs, featuring your favorite Lutheran symbols, Bible verses, or Christian humor. For example, Jesus' personality type is INRI. St. Paul is the patron saint of the run-on sentence. And of course, chancel culture is practiced here. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M.com. Join us September 29th at 7 p.m. for a hymn festival celebrating the Feast of St. Michael and All Angels at Good Shepherd Lutheran in Collinsville, Illinois. Hymn commentary will be provided by Pastor Will Whedon, host of the Word of the Lord Endures Forever podcast, along with organist Chris Lemker, orchestra, and choir. For more information or to register to sing in the choir, visit our website, withangelsandarchangels.org. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. It's part four of our series, Finding Jesus in the Old Testament. Dr. Reed Lessing is our guest. He's professor of theology and ministry and director of the Center for Biblical Studies at Concordia University, St. Paul, Minnesota. Co-author of the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for September, The Messianic Message, Predictions, Patterns, and the Presence of Jesus in the Old Testament. You'll find this book at our website, issuesetc.org. You can also call Concordia Publishing House, 1-800-325-3040 and ask for the Messianic message. 1-800-325-3040. Dr. Lessing, how do the wisdom books of the Old Testament further the Messianic message? 
the wisdom books are going to further the message. Certainly at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul calls Jesus our wisdom and our righteousness. And, and wisdom certainly means skill in living. That's the, the best translation of the Hebrew word, hakmah, wisdom, skill in living. So Jesus is going to show us skill in living. And how does he do that? Well, we go to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We look at his parables. We see Jesus as the incarnate a wisdom of God showing us the way to live as human beings. And that primarily would be, in wisdom terminology, the fear of the Lord, which means humility and lowliness. I know that you, you quite often sign off Virsen Bettler, right? We are all beggars before God. Well, that's the skill in living because that's how we receive the gospel and that's how we interact with people. So wisdom is going to play into that facet of the Messiah. The main wisdom piece, though, is going to come in, of all places, Proverbs chapter 8. So in the great Christological controversy in the 4th century AD, Athanasius is going to use as his major proof text, Proverbs chapter 8, verses uh, 22 and following, which says, Yahweh the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. And this whole idea of wisdom being the agent of God's creation, as the rest of Proverbs 8 moves on, is going to be for Athanasius the way in which he is going to argue that Jesus isn't of a similar substance of God. Jesus is homoousius. He's of the same substance of the Father. And we get that in the wisdom piece in the second half of Proverbs chapter 8. Generally, how do the prophetic books testify to Jesus? I would say that we would start with the prince of the prophets, right? Isaiah. And what these prophets are going to do, Isaiah from Malachi, is they're going to build upon these earlier texts we've been talking about and books in the Bible. And they're going to sharpen what all of this means. They're going to deepen the understanding of not only the Messiah's victory, but that the victory comes through the cross. It's the victory then that puts the cross into power. And this is what the prophets are going to announce in vivid colors. They will also pick up the idea of the Messiah's deep and abiding love for justice and righteousness, which is what the prophets call Israel to live out. Israel fails. We have the new Israel, Israel reduced to one, Jesus of Nazareth. So how does the New Testament view the Old Testament? That is a huge question. And what we would want to say is that the New Testament is simply going to carry 
the message of the Old Testament to its completion. The New Testament doesn't correct the Old Testament. The New Testament doesn't present a different religion than the Old Testament. The New Testament carries on the message of the Old Testament, which is, <laughs> no surprise here, the Messianic message. So the New Testament is where we begin our book, Andy Steinman and I. What we claim to be doing is that we are reading the Old Testament the way the New Testament does. And how does the New Testament read the Old Testament? Through predictions, patterns, and the presence of Jesus. Dr. Reed Lessing is professor of theology and ministry and director of the Center for Biblical Studies at Concordia University, St. Paul, Minnesota. He's co-author of the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for September, The Messianic Message, Predictions, Patterns, and the Presence of Jesus in the Old Testament. Dr. Lessing, thank you. Thank you, Todd. Friday on Issues Etc. will conclude our series, Finding Jesus in the Old Testament, talking with Dr. Andrew Steinman about Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And we'll have Pastor Will Whedon lead us in a teaching on St. Michael and all angels. Jesus himself tells us where to find him. He says, search those scriptures, they testify of me. And if you look at them, especially in light of what has been revealed in the Messiah, in Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, you will find him everywhere in the Old Testament. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Issues Etc. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.